Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another excellent show for you later on. I'll speak with legendary sports talk show host and my fellow Philadelphian, Tony Bruno, who debuts a new sports talk show on Sirius XM Radio on Monday. My first guest has been involved in sports talk since he started with the Fusion News Podcast while in the eighth grade. He hosts the Morning Drive Time Sports Talk Show at Dean College's Power 88.3, where he is a sophomore. He is producing long-form podcasts called The Whole Story, and this summer, Hopefully, he will be the play-by-play voice of the Burlington Royals if we have a minor league baseball season. And those are the Kansas City Royals Appalachian League affiliate. He is a 2018 graduate of Shamrock High School. Please welcome Alex Fuse. Alex, uh, welcome to the Parting Shots podcast, and thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on here, and I wanted to talk to you about uh, all your accomplishments so far. Looking back when you first started uh, in eighth grade with your, their podcast, when you were trying to line up interviews, were you getting like, uh, what was it like trying to line up interviews as an eighth grader? And you know, were you getting you know, the yeah right kid, yeah right kid? Well, it's funny looking back on it because I started um, doing like uh, two minute sports thing, almost like at the top of the hour, and then someone said, "Why don't you do an interview?" So my first interview I ever did was with. Now, if anyone from the Rotterdam or Schenectady area might remember this name, Shelmont quarterback Nick Gallo. Mm-hmm. It was his senior year. I was a freshman at Shelmont High School at the time. Um, and it was within my first or second week of being a high school student. So that was my first interview. And looking back at it now, thinking to me, that was Tom Brady. Basically, I was interviewing to me. And now looking back at it, it's pretty special to be like, well, I started out interviewing high school athletes and then advanced to interviewing not just Shelmont high school athletes, but athletes in the upstate region. And then um, my first interview with reporter, uh, and almost someone in the sports broadcasting industry was Roger Weiland of New Channel 13, and at the time, he was on AM radio before he went to 104.5 ESPN. So I interviewed Roger, and he was my first analyst or uh, someone that was working in this industry. And then I was pretty surprised about how willing people were to be a part of the interview or on the podcast. So I haven't really had too much trouble getting people on. Um, it's That's my favorite part of it. And obviously, uh, you've interviewed some um, well-known people. Bob Costas just recently on the uh, uh, the whole story uh, long-form podcast. You had Tim Brandon on, Ken Rosenthal. I mean, when you, I mean, uh, you're, I mean, I, when I was in college radio, we never had that opportunity to talk to um, you know big-time celebrities. I think the, the, the uh, probably the biggest celebrity I had a chance to talk to was a former high school. F- uh, football player was playing at Duke uh, back in uh, back in the early eighties when I was at York College of Pennsylvania's WVYC. But it, it seems like now with the internet and you know, 
is it easier to contact these guys? I mean, do you get intimidated trying to ask these uh, re uh, well-known uh, uh, reporters? I want to say intimidated. I, I do feel like that I would say most of my age group are worried about, well, two things. Worried about hearing the, the two-letter word no or simply nothing. So I've never had that fear. Um, you know, someone gave me the advice to play the numbers game. So I would sit down at my laptop and I would send out 50 to 100 emails. And I was thinking the other day, well, what would I believe the percentage rate, reply rate would be? And, and honestly, I think it's less than 10%. So, but that 10%, that's 10 interviews. So on a good week, now that I have an, a, more time than usual, uh, I did three interviews last week. I'm doing four this week. So then I would be set for at least two weeks. And so now 10 interviews is actually a good amount. So if, if you are willing to put yourself in a position and are willing to reach out, the worst thing that is going to happen is either no, or simply you'll get no response. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to start the podcast when you're eighth grade? I mean, you, you talked about your, you know, your love sports, but uh, what, what inspired you to do it? What, 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 uh... Yeah, it's a good question. Um, looking back at it now, um, you know, I, I, I took a different path as a sports fan than I, I think anyone in the industry. If you ask most people, they'll tell you, I've been a sports fan my whole life. I haven't. Or they'll tell you, oh, I used to listen to so-and-so on the radio when I was seven or eight years old. I didn't. I was growing for two weeks in the seventh grade, going into eighth grade, and I couldn't watch any TV. So I turned on my radio and I started listening to John Sterling at the age of 13. And after that moment, when I was listening to uh, John call baseball games, and up to this moment in time, Ken, I did not watch any sports. I, I swear, I, I didn't. Wow. So up until this moment in time, I was 13 years old, listening to John Sterling, I fell in love on how he provided... Uh, a word that my professor at Dean College, John Rook, came up with, infotainment. You are entertained listening to John Sterling call a baseball game. And for me, I fell in love with baseball. Then I started watching the Yes Network, watching Yankee games, once I was able to start watching TV again. And Michael K., the Michael K. show, just moved over to the Yes Network at that same time. And I was like, well, what if I created my own show? Um, so it was in the eighth grade, and it's going up on six years this May, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. And that's how this whole thing got started. And then you just look at the history of it, and it, it's fun. I do have to say you have to always find a positive in this moment in unprecedented and uncharted waters and enter any adjective or description of how you describe this time in our country's history and world's history where looking back at it now 
I'm getting back into podcasting more so than I usually have, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. I mean, you do a morning drive time show. I mean, what's it like trying to balance college life and getting up? I don't know what time you get up in the morning, but I assume it's early enough where you, like, before the sun comes up, you're doing a, one yep. a talk show in the morning, a sports talk show in the morning. Mm-hmm. I love it. Honestly, I started this show last September, um, so um, in 2019, and it's Monday through Friday from 7 to 8 a.m. One school was in session, but now um, we are now having to do it. You know, we can do it, you know, the podcast or, you know, all these different ways, and I think we'll start doing that more. So now once everything calms down and I figure out my class schedule more. So um, I do wake up around 4.30, and I go to sleep around 9 o'clock at night when I'm in school. Now that I don't have to get up at you know, that time, my sleep schedule is no more, which is unfortunate because I love my sleep. And Who doesn't? <laughs> I know it, right? So I love that aspect. I love morning drive because I love to, you know, the radio station at Dean is newly renovated after last summer. So, and just this semester, they put in a TV in the radio station. So every morning, I'll get up and get into the station around 5.30, and at 6 a.m., Golik and Wingo is on ESPN. And I watch that for the first hour. I'm preparing for the show. We have a team of people. So I usually have, uh, it's a team of, I believe, seven or eight students at Dean College that are sports broadcasting or communication majors that are on the show with me. So we have, you know, myself and one or two other people in the studio with me every morning. So I, I'm thankful for that. They only do two or three days a week. I do all five. So it's it's easier on them. Um, but I would also argue it's easier for me because it forces me to stick to a schedule. I think it's harder to get up at, you know, 4.30 or 5 a.m. once a week than five days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned John Rook. Uh, I believe he's a, does Providence uh, basketball. We, what uh, what influence has he been on you? Oh, he's incredible. And you know, John Rook not only does he do uh, the Friars like what you said, he's also the the voice of Gillette Stadium. And for all the home yeah. games for the New England Patriots, he's the PA announcer at Gillette Stadium. And that's ultimately how I got to Dean was through John Rook. I was, it was during my sophomore and junior year summer of high school. Dean College has and still does a two-week sports broadcasting camp, two weeks in the summertime, where I lived on the campus of Dean for two weeks. And from there, uh, we did different things at Gillette Stadium during uh, training camps, and we did different things for the Paw Sox and all these other games. So that's what got me involved with Dean. And... I remember I was talking with my dad after the first summer broadcasting camp, and I said, you know, I really liked it. And, you know, I think they're going to have another one next year. It was the first year that they did it. And he was like, well, they do. You know, we'll see if they have it. And they ended up having it again the next year. And he goes, you know, you can go to the camp, and I want you to think of, can you see yourself four years at this college? And I went there. I loved it even more. And I said, yes, I can see myself here for four years. Dean is the only school 
I ever applied to and the only college campus I've ever been on for a non-sporting event. So almost that camp basically sealed the deal where I wanted to go to school and I was so lucky to be able to get into my dream school, I guess you could say. Well, as before we get to the, talking about the Patriots, I wanted to uh, mention you, the last year you did uh, play-by-play for the New Bedford Red Sox in the uh, NEB, uh, NECBL. Now, as I mentioned at the top here, you're going to you know, do the Burlington Royals. You know, hopefully it'll be a season for you. Uh, how much enjoyment do you get doing from play-by-play? I love it. You know, honestly, it's my first passion, I would say. The last summer was my first true year I got to do play-by-play, just simply because there's not a lot of opportunity for high school students. I mean, I, I used to sit, and in high school, uh, fun fact, I was the team manager of my high school baseball team all four years, freshman through senior year, and uh, football, basketball, and soccer manager for two years my sophomore and junior year. So I was busy all the time. And I was able to end only doing baseball and start only doing baseball at Shelma. So I, I was very grateful for that. So play-by-play is a, a true passion of mine. And I was I'm so grateful to be able to have the opportunity last summer to be with the Bay Sox and then this summer with the, with the B-Royals. And, you know, I, I truly believe we are going to have a season. What the season looks like structure-wise we have no idea. Yeah. Um, it, it could be simply because I truly believe we're going to have a season. It's just the simple fact that it's a short season affiliated team. And this, in my head, can the baseball season wasn't going to start until late June anyways because the first Burlington Royals game is scheduled for June 22nd. So... I'm, you know, it's not like I was planning on there to be regular season baseball for me right now, mm-hmm. just simply because the baseball season for me wasn't going to start until late June anyways. So now it's pretty uh, funny now thinking about it. Hopefully, the goal is that we're live and ready to go by that time, and everyone else will be starting at the same time as me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Wing of Patriots with John Rook and uh – we got to ask. I got to ask you, since you're living, you know, going to Dean College here in Franklin, Massachusetts, what's the mood like without with the departure of Tom Brady? You know, it's definitely uneasy. I would say, just simply because you would think, you know, when you spend a 20-year career was in some ways, and not, not only just a 20-year career, a legendary career, and you look back at the careers of you know, the late great Kobe Bryant, and you look back at the careers of Derek Jeter, Tom Brady was in that same category as both of those guys. And honestly, I think it, it obviously does not hurt the credibility of Tom Brady. But let's say he is with the Buccaneers and they have a subpar season. You know, how much does that hurt Tom Brady? I don't think, obviously, it would hurt him too much, but, you know, the last... Everyone always says, you know, when you think back of someone, you always think of the last time you saw someone. That's your last impression. You obviously remember the moment, and it's different with athletes just simply because you can go on YouTube or on the NFL Network and, or ESPN and relive the past moments. But your last impression of a guy like Tom Brady 
Is he a struggling quarterback with a brand new team wearing the same 12 that he made famous with the Patriots? Or is he with the Patriots and he goes off with the sunset, you know, in that way? And I honestly thought he was not going to leave the Patriots on a fixed six. Who would have thought that? Yeah. So, but in this day and age, I guess you can't predict anything, especially with players going to other teams. And also, a side part, I never thought that Tom Brady was ever in for the money. So, that's kind of what came across to me about his contract with the Buccaneers, that it almost seemed like he was looking for a payday, the Patriots weren't going to offer it, and Bill Belichick wanted to move on. But who else is out there that is going to be better to come in and replace Tom Brady at this moment in time with the salary cap that the Patriots have? So I was surprised that he did end up going to another team, but at the same time, who knows if this will solidify the long argument of who's the benefit of each other's success, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. So I guess now we'll finally get to see whose success is. And I I honestly believe they're both much uh, great uh, coach and a player because if you think about it, Bill Belichick is the last coach of the Cleveland Browns that got them in the playoffs. So I think... (laughs) I think Bill Belichick is a pretty good coach, if, you ask, if you're asking me. Yeah, I mean, I go back to my youth when you know, Johnny Unitas got sent to San Diego and Joe Namath ended up his career with the Los Angeles Rams and Al sure. beat up, and you wonder if that's going to happen with Tom Brady. I mean, 20 years, I mean, nobody, he survived 20 years in this game. Uh, he, really one major injury that the uh, torn ACL, but... Uh, I mean, he's obviously had some bumps and bruises along the way, but to be as productive, I think he had an off year, and you wonder uh, if maybe that was the start of the decline, but we'll we'll find out maybe a new uh, setting for him will revitalize him for the next two years down in Tampa. I think that would be the hope for Tom Brady, and it's not a knock to, you know, to say, well, he went for the paycheck because anyone that is, you know, no one's going to tell you this, but the goal is obviously to, make a certain amount of money that you believe you deserve. So I think ultimately Tom Brady thought that he could, and he did so. Another team in turmoil there in New England is the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Alex Cora losing his job because of the Houston Astros cheating scandal and the Red Sox under investigation. They traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers. What do you think the Red Sox, I mean, this is a team and it doesn't seem like it's going to be able to contend if if they play this year. The Red Sox had, you know, it's a, a long question, you know, whether or not the Red Sox should have traded Mookie Betts or kept him. You know, and it's a complicated question that ultimately came down to money. And looking back at it, I don't know if the Red Sox would have done the deal that they would have done if, let's say, the season does not happen. So, ethically, should Major League Baseball go back and cancel out the deal? Because if you're the L.A. Dodgers, you're not giving up Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo for a player that never even played one game and a pitcher that you ultimately just accepted 30, or I, I, I don't remember what the breakdown was of what the Red Sox are paying for the contract of David Price's contract. So you're ultimately paying what, $25 million for a player that has two or three good seasons left in him if he's able to perform in the National League. 
So, ethically, is it correct or right for the Dodgers and Red Sox to be able to go through if there is no season? It's a, it's a loaded question. So, looking back at it now, I don't know if the Red Sox would have done the deal they would have done if knowing what would have happened. Also, hindsight is twenty twenty, but still, the idea of what the Red Sox season is going to be this year, we don't know. And honestly, I believe the Red Sox can be a 500 team. They simply can. I think they have the lineup. They just need to get the pitching down. And you know, I think ultimately the, the injury to Chris Sale also kind of put the nail on the coffin mm-hmm. for an above 500 season just because, well, Chris Sale, when he's on, he's one of the best pitchers in the league. And now you don't have David Price, so now Nathan Ovaldi or Eduardo Rodriguez are your one and two pitchers when also Nathan Ovaldi is also coming off of Tommy John surgery as well. So, you know, the Red Sox pitching, I think, and their bullpen is a mess as well. So looking at it as a whole, the Red Sox, I think, are probably hoping that there isn't going to be a season this year because... Well, it's not going to be as successful as years past. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with Major League Baseball and the union agreeing to uh, give these guys their credit for the year, I mean, if there's no season involved, Mookie Betts may not play for the Dodgers at all and could end up being a free agent. Exactly. That's, that's, that's uh, going to be maybe the Red Sox end up you know, winning that trade by default. <laughs> yeah. So. Which would be crazy yeah. to think about because everyone always says, well, the Red Sox missed out on that trade, but maybe he, maybe they won it now. Yeah, and of course the two other Boston winter teams, the Red Sox, I mean, sorry, the Celtics and the Bruins have having good years, and especially the Bruins, and yeah, who knows? I mean, what's your gut feeling with the NHL and NBA? Do, do they try to salvage some sort of at least playoffs? I think they want to, and I think the goal is, you know, I was talking to my grandma about this yesterday, she called me and she said, do you know when they're going to start playing sports again? And I said, well, that's a loaded question. I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, I would be in very good business right now. But ultimately, everything comes down to the CDC. Major League Baseball said that they aren't going to even think about playing games until the CDC allows more than 50 people again. Whether or not they're willing to play games without fans in the Stadiums, I think that will be uh, a question that you know Commissioner Rayford will have to answer for himself. And for the NBA and the NHL, I think they all obviously want to finish the season. And I think the biggest thing that, personally for me, and I think anyone else that you would ask this question, the worst outcome of this would be to start back up too early and have to shut back down and almost go through the whole process again. Mm-hmm. So looking at it now, they're going to wait things out until they feel confident enough that they can hit the play button again on the season and start things back up and make sure that they do not have to shut things back down again because that would be the last thing anyone wants for any particular league or in the world as a whole. You know, you don't want to let up on the social distancing distance too early because then you're looking at a whole other peak and then you have to start the whole thing all over again. So I guess now the 
the way that you can stay healthy is simply staying inside. If you're not trapped inside, that's just where you're the safest. Yeah. I mean, I can see the NBA restarting its regular season and maybe playing through August. The NHL is a different breed. Obviously, I don't know how you can hold ice in, in, in August. I mean, I, I think the NHL has got to go just – if they come back, just go right to the playoffs, have it a, maybe add a few teams just to make it fair and – uh, figure out a way to get it done by late July, early August. Because I, I just can't see playing NHL games in August when it's 90 degrees outside and you have 18,000 people in, in, in the arena and it's just going to create you know, problems for the ice. Yes, yeah, and, and not only that, but also the stadiums in, in the arena that they're playing in. They also share the same arena as the NBA. Mm-hmm. If the NBA are going to have to go to a more abbreviated schedule where you don't have two or three days off in between games, how are you going to coordinate that with a hockey season? Now, knowing basing it off my knowledge that I know of um, from the Providence Friars and when the Providence Bruins are playing, where they ultimately can play at the same time, where sometimes there's a hockey practice during the daytime and within an hour or two, they're able to just, you know, throw down, you know, the, the boards on the on the ice for a basketball game. So we might start seeing where there's a hockey game during the day, and then at night in the same arena, there's an NBA game. So it's going to get interesting if that's going to have to be the case. And I honestly don't believe we will see fans until the CDC starts, you know, letting go and, and becoming more open with the restrictions and the tight restrictions that we have right now. Well, Alex, where can people find you uh, on the social media? You can follow me on Twitter at AlexFuse, A-L-E-X-F-E-U-Z. You can also listen to my podcast on every podcasting platform you can think of. Also, if it's easier, AlexFuse.com is the home of all the podcasts and videos as well and Ken I want to say thank you for having me on today this was fun well thank you for coming on Alex appreciate it it's uh, great to catch up with you and uh, yeah, let's talk again soon down the road uh, maybe when you make absolutely it, when you make it big you're making a million bucks you'll come back on the podcast <laughs> that sounds good to me <laughs> thank you Alex appreciate it ready Ken let me know if you ever need anything okay thanks take care coming up I'll speak with sports talk show legend Tony Bruno you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, this is Ken Schott, Associate Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette and host of the Parting Shots Podcast. The coronavirus has affected many American lives. To help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have the following tips. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. Stay home when you are sick, except to get medical care. And finally, Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. 
For more information, go to www.cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Follow the Daily Gazette's continuing coverage of the coronavirus online at dailygazette.com and in the print edition. Welcome back to the podcast, and my next guest is a sports talk legend. He was a founding father of ESPN Radio and Fox Sports Radio, and on Monday, he returns to National Sports Radio when he debuts the Tony Bruno Show with Harry Mays on Sirius XM Channel 211. More importantly, not only is he a great human being, he is a great Philadelphian. Please welcome Tony Bruno. Tony, uh, welcome, my friend. Uh, how are things down in Philadelphia? You staying safe? Yes, uh, you know, Ken, thank you for having me on the show. It's an honor. But the bottom line is I've been salted in place for over a year in my own wine cellar studio. Now everybody's operating from their studios and their homes and everybody's building studios in their basements. I was way ahead of the curve. So I've been doing my Twitch show on the twitch.tv for over a year from the basement. I like to call them a cellar now. Basement's old school. I don't have the crappy paneling or all the other garbage that you see in it. I do have a dartboard, though, so it's sort of like a combo cellar basement, depending on what, which, which era you're from and uh, what you like to call that space beneath your home, unless there's a crawl space and it's really useless. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you, how much of the fun is going to be back on the national airwaves? Uh, you know, obviously, it's not terrestrial radio. It's uh, uh, satellite radio. But the fact you're back on nationally and, uh, you know, people can hear you, hear you again. No, it's fine. I've, I've, I've had a great career, and I've been fortunate. You know, with ESPN, and actually going back to 1980 when I was working in New York with Keith Olbermann and Charlie Steiner at the old RKO Radio Network, that was in 1980. Uh, that was my first dive into national radio, but it wasn't long form. It wasn't seven hours of programming. So, And I've been on Sirius before, whether it was not on ESPN, because, you know, Sirius didn't exist when ESPN was on. But when I went to Fox in L.A. and then Sporting News, my shows were always on because the networks were on Sirius XM. So Sirius has always been great to me. I've had a lot of great reaction. And, and you know, as we look at these people now and the entire country, all of us, in this coronavirus uh, pandemic, you know, the truck drivers, the people who are out there working, driving, that's one of the advantages of being on satellite radio because these guys can get in the truck in, you know, in Chicago and then five hours later, you know, they're still driving and they have the same, same channel on or They can mix in their favorite channel. So that's one of the advantages of satellite radio. And I love terrestrial radio. I've done it most of my life. But being on uh, on network, network, so to speak, national radio, where a lot of people can hear us, no matter where they travel, that's one of the biggest advantages, I think. Whatever happened to uh, Keith Over and Charlie Steiner? <laughs> uh, no, Keith is still working at ESPN. Yeah. Charlie's the voice of the yeah. Dodgers. And, you know, nobody's talking right now as far as sportscasters are concerned. You know, the irony of me getting this job, Ken, is that, you know, it's, uh, I'm... I get hired to do a national radio show or a satellite radio show when there's no sports to talk about. So talk about ironies. You would think nobody's getting hired right now to do sports talk because there's no sports to talk about. And then Sirius says, oh, let's put them on, you know, in April when uh, everything's still shut down for another month. So that's one of the advantages of being able to, you know, not just talk about sports, but being around uh, the journalism business and being a reporter for many years and covering events around the world first mostly as a sportscaster, but certainly as a local newscaster here in Philly, you know, you, you do it. You, you, you got to be on. I mean, you're still, again, we're not essential services, I don't think. Maybe you are. I'm not. But people want something to listen to. They want they want to get, get away from this stuff. But at the same time, we're also there on the air when something happens, where if there is a breaking news story, if something major happens, we 
got to be ready to not run away from it, but to at least uh, enlighten our listeners with the information that we have at hand. So we're not scientists, we're not doctors, I'm not going to evaluate, uh, do ratios and how many people are dying compared to what the percentages of deaths and those that kind of stuff. I leave that up to the experts. I'm just mostly an entertaining sports talk guy. And even when there's no sports, we got to entertain. And Harry also, you know, my partner for many, many years, he and I have this good bond, so... I think they're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Harry. In fact, you, know, you guys worked together at the, at the Fanatic there, 97.5, the Fanatic in Philly, when you w came back to Philadelphia. Talk, you know, let people know what Harry's like. What, what, you know, what kind of personality is he, and how much fun is, will it be to uh, uh, be a partner with him again? Harry's the complete opposite of me. I mean, mentally, he's pretty on the same wavelength. You know, out there, loves to talk about stuff, uh, shoots straight, doesn't care what he says. Not offensive, though, but just, you know, he's a different guy. But I think the combination of our two personalities, he's a lot more quiet than I am. You know, he just sits there. He loves to play golf. I like to play golf, but I suck at it, so I don't play it. But Harry does a lot of things, and it's just, just a mindset. He, he, he and I both think alike, but Harry's not as vocal as I am when, when something comes to his mind. And so I just think the combination, and I've been fortunate, Ken, over the years. I've worked with so many great, Andrew Siciliano was just a young 20-something kid. When I was at Fox, and I knew right away, and I didn't hire him, but he was my co-host, and I could see right away that he was really, really a special talent, and he was going to go places. And you know, I look at him now, 15 years later, and he's all over the NFL Network, and he's all over Directv on the, the, the you know, the, he was the first guy on the Red Zone Channel, and so he's doing a lot of great stuff. And I, I, when I see people that I've worked with and I've had a lot of fun working with, and our shows were successful, it's real, always great to see these people move on interns who have moved up and now are running radio stations. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I love about my long career is that I've, I've, been, I've been able to learn from a lot of great people in my early radio days and then people that are working with me when they were younger who are now, you know, 30s and 40s who are all successful because, not because of me, but because they had the desire and the talent to keep moving forward in this crazy world that we live in, the world, the wonderful world of broadcasting, as we used to refer it. I mean, you worked at uh, Famous 56 WFIL back in the 70s there, and I, you know, you know, we talked about something on Twitter about you know, going back to those days. I mean, and I mentioned uh, the late, great Alan Stone, the newscaster. And what was, that, what was it like working at a station like WFIL in the heyday of uh, AM radio? It was the greatest era of my life. I was a young teenager growing up in South Philly. I had nobody in the radio business. I had, no, my dad died when I was 10, so here I was a young kid with an immigrant mom and two sisters. I was the only male in the house, so, you know, the Vietnam War was going on, so all that stuff. So I would listen to the radio at night, but like sports, I would turn on, listen to the Phillies games in the 60s on a transistor radio as they choked away the World Series or the, you know, the pennant. And so I grew up listening to radio, and I was fascinated. So... I always thought, wow, one day, that's what I want to do. And there was no reason for it. I didn't have anybody who was influencing me. I didn't know any people in radio or TV. And so that's what, anyway, we fast forward. I started calling the DJs at WFIL in the middle of the night. You know, Dave, Dave Parks and Long John Wade and those guys who were legendary DJs at that radio station back when everybody listened to AM. And back when every radio station on the AM dial had really good news departments. You know, we're talking about the 60s. In 70s, I mean, we had one of the greatest news departments ever, and I was a young kid in there doing overnights, and I would actually help Alan Stone prepare for his morning drive copy in the middle of the night by separating stories, but to work with him and to watch him work and write and sit there and then go into that booth and 
reverb and the way the station sounded back then was just powerful. And Alan was not just an intense guy, one of the nicest guys. He was he would go on cruises with his wife every single year. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. And he later on on to the Franklin Mint after his broadcasting career ended. But to work with him and Alan Stone and Glenn Barton and Paul Henderson and Nick and Fred Lowry. I mean, these guys were all network caliber newscasters. And so to learn from them as a young kid really, really, I think, set the foundation for my career. You know, when you're around people who are really, really good, I mean, you don't even have to try to learn, and you're going to automatically absorb, absorb the incredible talent. You don't have to absorb their talent, but their work ethic, how they write, things of that nature. So I always, I always looked up to the people who, I, when I started this business, who were just really good, and I was fortunate to work with some of the best talents in the business. So that was a real tremendous advantage for me as a young kid. Yeah, because I, I, when I was growing up in Philadelphia, it was like Gene Hart, Harry Callis, uh, Andy mm-hmm. Lesser, uh, for me, and, and, and reading the, the, the newspapers with Jack Chevalier at the Bulletin, uh, Bill Fleischer yep. at the Daily News, and uh, Chuck Newman and, uh, at the Inquirer covering the Flyers. I mean, that, that's people today don't understand how influential those these people are. And, and you talk about it, it, radio stations having news departments. I mean, now, you're lucky if you have a radio station now with a news department. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at Philadelphia, major market, there's really KYW. You know, which has been the news station forever, is probably the only. And I know NPR has a little news department here, but when you look around the dial, there's not even a, there's not even a teletype machine, and there is no news department. No one really does news anymore. That's not knocking the industry. That's just the way the world has changed, and it's expensive to run. When I was at WCAU in 1990, doing the morning show on 1210, and Frank Rizzo was on in the afternoon, we still had a great news department. We had a sports department, a news department on AM radio. And then CBS blew that up in 1990 because of costs and unions and all the other things that these big corporations like to do when they try to find ways to cut. And so they basically gutted the entire radio station back then. So W1210 doesn't have a news department now. Most stations don't have a news department. It's, a, it's an unnecessary luxury. It's like sports departments. You know, even sports radio stations don't have sports departments. They just have people who work there who do sports. So. The world has changed, and we have to we have to adjust to it, and that's what I've been doing. Even though I'm 67 years old now, you have to embrace the digital realm. You, know, you can't sit there. And, it's nice to talk about the good old days, but the good old days are long gone. Now we have to figure out what's going on right now and what the future of our industry is. I think the one also nice thing about being in sports radio, I mean, now I can talk about sports. You can talk entertainment. I, I think that would help. I mean, you've had um, celebrities on your shows over the years. I mean, how important is it to have I me? Mean, talk with celebrities about sports and uh, their their influence on on the game well it's, it's been it's been a great privilege for me because you know when i was at espn we interviewed i remember interviewing bill clinton uh who was the president of the united the actual president of the united states about the about uh arkansas being in the final four back in the day uh, you remember that team you know with with, uh, with with a great great squad there in arkansas the razorbacks and of course bill clinton former president from arkansas so we would get the president on, and we were talking. I always remember the intro. Keith Olbermann and I were doing the segment together, and I played Hail to the Chief. And then I said, ladies and gentlemen, people think I'm pulling one over on you, but let me say this for the first time and the only time I've ever said this. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, Bill Clinton. And then President Clinton comes on, and he says, you know, a lot of times people think I'm pulling the wool over their eyes, too. I mean, it was just really, really fun stuff. We got to talk, not politics, but sports. And then Arkansas and that kind of stuff. Then we had, and then when I was at ESPN, also with Chuck Wilson, we were at a remote, 
also when Tennessee was playing in the first BCS championship game out in Arizona, and we had Al Gore on, who was the vice president of Bill Clinton in that same era, and we had him on, and I introduced him as the next president of the United States, uh, Al Gore, and then we had a laugh and goofed off. I tried to get him to say he was going to run for president, and he didn't commit. And so then we talked about sports. So to be able to intertwine, you know, people that everybody knows, the president, the vice president, big-time celebrities who are big sports fans, to intertwine that into sports conversations makes, you know, makes doing this even that much more fun. Because, you know, we can take calls from listeners who are great. They're the people who support us. They're the people who listen to us and give us a following. But to be able to have access, you know, to presidents and to vice presidents and to you name it in Hollywood or, or, or music or sports, the biggest names, you know, that's, that's great access that working at places like ESPN and Fox gives you the ability to have that, you know, you normally would never get an interview with the president of the United States. What was it like in the beginning of ESPN radio? I mean, it was you, Keith Olbermann, Chuck, uh, Chuck Wilson. That was just a great combination there. Uh, what were the uh, years like working with those two? Again, another part of the learning experience. Uh, here we are. Let's see, 1992. I was 40 years old, so I just turned 40. At ESPN, I was working at WIP here in Philadelphia with Angelo and Al, Angelo Cataldi and Al Morgani on the morning show. The show was exploding. I mean, it was it was really the sports show in Philly that started off as you know Angelo who was a writer for the Inquirer, Al was a hockey writer for the Inquirer, and then Tom Brookshire who was part of the ownership of the Spectacor Group that owned WIP and decided to put sports on in the morning. You know, from the old the, the radio days with the DJs and the legendary guys who were on. WIP when it was a music station, you know, we had to make the transition. So ESPN calls me Charlie Steiner from my associations and with him previously and Keith in New York in 1980 at RKO. They called me and said, hey, we're going to do this. Would you come up? I went up to Connecticut and I said, you know, I don't know what to do. I had a young family. I had three kids. You know, I didn't want to move to Connecticut. And so they said, it was just going to be weekend. So I said, no, I don't think I want to do it. I want to, you know, I want to be around with my kids and stuff in Philly and not have to go to Connecticut. So anyway, I, I turned down the job, and then a week later, Charlie calls me and said, are you crazy? You can't turn this. It's only weekends. Come up and do this. This is going to be an unbelievable opportunity. And it wasn't like I thought ESPN was beneath me. I was just looking at the entire how my family would react. And I never moved my family in all the years I was in radio, which was which was something that, you know, is very rare in our industry. You take a job. I went to Birmingham. I had my first son down there with my wife. And so that was the only time I moved. But that was in the 70s when I was in my 20s. And it was a good learning experience because I got to do hockey and basketball and morning radio. But anyway, so we go back to ESPN. You know, they said, hey, let's do this. And we did it in a little booth. And we had no, we had virtually no internet. We would get wire stories over our computer screen. But there was no internet, remember. Mm -hmm. There was no, uh, there were no tickers. There was none of that stuff. There was no ESPN.com. So back then, when we were on on Saturday and Sunday nights, we had all the monitors. We had all the games. And so as soon as the game was over, we would be able to say it's a final. And remember back then, we're talking 1992, we were the first voices that people heard before there were phones and cell phones with apps and all that other stuff. When a game was over, they knew we were going to tell them the game was over, and we knew that we would have somebody in that locker room who would hand a phone to the star of the game and get us get them on the air nationally. So it was an unbelievable experience. For eight years, we did it on Saturday and Sunday nights. And, and, again, working with some amazingly talented people, I thought, and, and I think that's one of those things that people tell me to this day, that the way radio has changed, there will never be a network that will put on its best talent 
p.m. to 1 a.m. on Saturday and 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Sunday night. Not because people aren't good. It's just that they won't put the assets, they won't spend the money to produce those kinds of shows on weekends now in the world where everything is available pretty much anywhere you need it. Yeah. You mentioned Angelo Cattoli. i got to mention my son, Stephen, who's a, a junior in college up here in, uh, at UAlbany, and he religiously has been listening to WIP for many years. I've raised him right as a Philadelphia sports fan, so I'm, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> That's good parenting, Ken. That's the first, first and foremost. That's the deal. Yes, yes. Um, I have a couple of people have uh, mentioned on my Facebook page I was going to be talking to you. A couple of people uh, make some comments or questions. Uh, Ed Zach uh, stating, I may not be able to listen right now, but he says, uh, could you tell Tony uh, that we know uh, Tony is a true and original Mr. Monday Night? Other guys have claimed as such, but we all know Tony is the original Mr. Monday Night. I cashed in a lot of Franklins because of his wise football prognostications. Please tell him I'm a fan of his and appreciate him on WIP when you're working there. Well, thank you. No, I was a lot of fun. Even when I was at the Mr. Monday Night thing, actually started before WIP. It was when I was at WSNI 104.5 with Don Cannon and Dennis Malloy doing a morning show in Philly on FM. And uh, uh, Don and I were starting to talk about sports. You know, I was the sports director, so I started doing Monday Night Picks. And I started really doing well. And that's when Mr. Monday Night started. Because I was on a really, I was on like a 24-4 and run or 28-4 and on Monday Night Football picks. And so, you know, back then, there wasn't, you know, you called Nunzio. There was no parks, casinos, and there weren't any online betting. <laughs> I mean, the only way you can bet on games was illegally. Yeah. And everybody did it. So the fun part was giving picks. And the one thing I didn't do, Ken, is I never bet on my own picks. Because I didn't kind of want to get, get it tied in with bookies and, get in trouble. I was always worried about, you know, I don't want to get arrested doing this. I'm not doing anything illegal. But back then, you didn't have a lot of talent. You didn't have a lot. And I wasn't a talent. I was a sports guy who loved football and released the Monday Night Picks every Monday on the radio show. So that became something really special. And we had we had people, we had sound effects. We had everything. I had the lead pipe banging. I went to my basement and recorded me banging on, on pipes in my basement, whether they were copper or lead. We called them the lead pipe locks. Yep. And so it became a thing that's been going on forever. Others have used it. People say, are you mad that Mike and Mike were doing it? No, because I love Mike Golick. We did it when I was at ESPN with him in the morning. And so I, I find it as, I, I consider it a tribute when people say Stone Cold Dead Pipe Locks or Mr. Monday Night. I don't, I'm not one of these guys, I'm going to sue that guy. He's calling himself Mr. Monday Night. I, I don't live in that world. I've got to sue everybody because when, when somebody copies something that I've done or says something that I've said or uses terms that I use, I don't consider that. I consider that flattery. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited when I hear that kind of stuff. One other question, Mike, but before I get to that, I mentioned you mentioned Don Cannon. There's another guy he listened to at WFIL. You know, he took over for Jim O'Brien. He had a, a big uh, you know, role to fill, and I think he did a great job. And I remember you guys being at 104.5 there, too. So uh, he likes to mention that Don Cannon. Um, Paul Bonzek is asking, if the NHL and NBA seasons are done until fall and baseball doesn't start until July, do you think – Contraction is the reality in pro sports. Uh, Paul says, I see it at least four teams fold in the NHL. Major League Soccer could lose big, and even baseball could see a couple of teams fold. Uh, your thoughts? No, that's a great question. I was talking about that yesterday. Harry and I did a show where we uh, announced our serious show. Uh, Harry and I talked about that. Baseball right now is the one that's going to take the biggest hit because, you know, at least the NBA and the NHL seasons got more than halfway through their seasons. And so if they do resume and they finish it out in the summertime or whenever, you know, we're going to have at least a body of work which would be representative of who the best team 
teams are. Baseball right now, I think, is in the biggest trouble, and they're trying to figure it out every 10 seconds. I'm seeing, you know, when they resume the season, even if it's in July, July 1st, they're still going to pick it up from where the season starts. They're not going to go back and do opening day and go back and, re- and redo the schedule because they can't. All those dates, all those ballpark opportunities, all the different teams, the travels, the hotels, all those things that are set up way in advance, there's no way logistically they could fix that. So what they're going to do and what they're going to have to do is whenever they decide to start, if they do this summer, they're going to have to pick up the season where the schedule is at that moment. So then play it out from there. And that's going to be the hardest thing, you know, double headers, no off days, yeah. playing, you know, a, a four-game series instead of playing a three-game series. So that's the biggest problem I think baseball faces. I think by the time we get to the NFL season, the NFL is probably going to be <clears throat> okay to start it up in August, good Lord willing. I mean, I, I, I know hopefully this thing subsides to the point where by the summertime, you know, we're able to go back out and use restrictions and be careful and actually wash our hands without having to be told to wash our hands. So baseball to me, pardon me, I just had some uh, yogurt. See, I never should have yogurt when you're doing a relay. All the kids out there listening, don't eat yogurt and fruit when you're about to do a radio show or a podcast because you got to get that throat clear. I haven't even done my vocal uh, exercises yet, Ken. That's why I got up real well. I got up at the crack of 9.30 so I could be with you today. Well, I appreciate that. When I talked to Miss Robin yesterday to set this up, I, mean, I was going to do it anytime you wanted to do it. So, uh, But, I mean, to me, I, I, with the baseball situation, you mentioned, I mean, I go back to when I was a kid, 1972, the strike uh, started halted the, the start of the season, and baseball picked it up. And I think the Boston Red Sox end up you know, missing out on winning the NL East or the AL East by half game because of the strike. And I, we could see a situation where, and even 1981, the Cincinnati Reds, best record overall during the split seasons, and they didn't even make the playoffs. So it's, 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 this could be a really bad situation for, for Major League Baseball. Absolutely. I remember the 95 work stoppage. John Sterling, you know, the voice of the Yankees, he was doing the Braves before that. John Sterling came up to Bristol to do weekends with us because there was no baseball. And so here's John Sterling, one of the legendary voices in sports history. He came up and we were sitting there on weekends talking about life without baseball and how play-by-play guys were going through a summer where they didn't have a job. And so he came up there and talked about it. But you're absolutely right as far as what's going to happen with baseball. Again, I don't think baseball's going to contract. I don't... People will always go back. Look at what we've gone through. The dead ball era, the juiced ball era, the juiced player era. You know, the craziness. The you know, home runs by the billions. So I think people will always go back because it's the quintessential summer sport. But as far as the damage, I don't think the damage will be, I'm not going to go back and watch a baseball game. I think the first reaction will be, hey, you know, is it safe? I've got season tickets. I don't want to be sitting around people who may be sick. So depending on where we are at that juncture, that's the first thing people will consider. Do I want to be in a large stadium again? Until everybody's confident that they're not going to be able to get it when a hot dog guy passes a hot dog down the row to five different people and one of those people still is sick, am I going to eat a hot dog and get sick again? So we got a lot to go through, Ken, but as far as the logistics of baseball, they're banging their heads against the wall right now trying to figure out just how they're going to get this done, whether it's canceling the All-Star game to when the, uh, they're going to play baseball in November and with the weather situation the way it is, or playing at a neutral site so it's not snowing, depending on where the team is. So those are the things I think baseball has the hardest problem figuring out. As far as hockey and basketball, you know, those arenas, in, in when we get into June and July, aren't booked solid. So if you have playoffs in June and July, which you do in basketball anyway, I 
don't think they're going to have a problem getting those schedules lined up because those buildings, you know, unless they have a concert or something, they can adjust that stuff more so than baseball can adjust home stands and things of that nature and traveling to different cities and how many games are we going to be playing against our own division, you know, when you, when you already have it set and you may have missed a ton of division games. So that's the problem they're going to have. Yeah, the NHL to me is intriguing because if they're talking, you know, having playoff games in July and August, but how's the ice going to hold up? That's that to me. I just, I, I, that's the one league I think could have the the biggest problem. The NBA, you can obviously you put a court on the on the uh, concrete floor there at the arenas, you're fine. But trying to keep ice in July and August, um, it's eighteen thousand people. If, if if they have eighteen thousand people in, in the uh, in the stands, I mean, it's going to be you have the best um, dehumidifiers in the in the in the world working, but you can still have possibly fog on the ice. No, you're right. Well, the good thing is, half of the league is eliminated, and you know, so I'm talking about buildings. There'll be a lot of teams that obviously won't be playing, you know, and and that's going to make it easier. They'll, the, the number of teams in the playoffs is is a lot to begin with, but I think they probably would shorten the series. You know, no seven game series. Can we go back to a best of three? You know, in hockey, a best of three in the NBA first round. Those are the things that they have to contemplate. As you mentioned, the NBA won't be as badly affected because they don't have they don't have to have good ice in the summertime with the heat and humidity. But the NBA, I think, will be fine playing in the summer, certainly. And then the NHL, as you mentioned, there'll be a lot of arenas that won't be functioning with ice. They'll melt the ice, as we say here in Philadelphia many years when the Flyers weren't doing well. It's time to melt the ice. You know. They, that's going to be a problem. But, you know, the technology is, well, I remember being in Buffalo in the odd for the Flyer Stanley Cup, you know, when, when the fog would come in and they would fly the bats around. Before we started eating bats, they'd have to put bats in there to fly around, and nobody was eating them, so nobody was sick from eating bats. But I digress. <laughs> so Ozzy Osbourne made it. He, he ate a bat once, and he survived. Yeah, I, I actually joined. I posted the picture of, the, of Ozzy on stage when he bit the bat's head off. Remember that at the yeah, concert? Yeah. And I said, this is patient zero. Everybody's looking for who to blame. Patient zero is Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, he's the first guy who ate a bat in this country. Yet in other countries and different cultures, they're eating bats all the time. By the way, I have breaking news that I will be breaking right here. Okay. With you, Ken Shot. This just in. Sirius XM has announced it will be free for everyone until May 15th. Greg, Rich, Howard Stern in the AM, Mad Dog Unleashed in the afternoon, and for tremendous music channels for non-subscribers. So this is a big announcement that literally just came out from the folks who run Sirius XM. And so a lot of people have been saying, you know, how are we going to hear you? Uh, we don't have a subscription. So a great job by the folks at Sirius XM. It will be free for everybody until May 15th. So you'll be able to hear the beginning of the show whether you're a serious subscriber or not. And that opens the door for a lot of people to sample all of the stuff on Sirius. They do this every once in a while. You know, they'll do a month. Uh, if you have a radio in your car and you haven't reactivated it, they'll let you listen in for free. So I think that's nice. And I think a lot of companies are stepping up. Not that, you know, we, they, they need us, but, you know, when you're in your car, you're driving around, you still have to go out there. You're a truck driver. You're going to work at a grocery store to deliver food products. You know, the essential services that are still out there, those people are out there driving to work every day, and I think this is a nice gesture from the folks at Sirius to give people an opportunity to get to listen to, you know, 200 channels at their disposal in your car, uh, which you can hear, you know, some of the greatest stuff around the country. So that, that's a tremendous job, and I think they, uh, I'm sound like Donald Trump now. This is incredible. This is a tremendous, tremendous thing. Sirius, what a great company. I'm 
I'm, I'm sounding more like Jim Rome than I am than Donald Trump. I can't do a Donald Trump impersonation. I haven't been working on it. But i got to say this about the president, though. Not to be political, because this is not political. This is intended as humor. Uh, how ironic is it that I'm going to work for a sports station when there is no sports, which I mentioned earlier, but also when the president said we need to get people back to work by Easter? Yeah. Never did I know that he would be talking about me being back to work before Easter at a new job. Well, we're happy you're coming back, Tony. Uh, where can people find you on the various social media platforms? On Twitter, at Tony Bruno Show. On Twitter, where I'm there, goofing off most of the time, having fun with the fans, getting other people irritated. You know, we got to have a range of emotions when we're on. Social media is, is the great toilet. It's, it's the actual... It's the toilet of America and the world. You can go in there. You can say stupid stuff. I have my name attached to everything, so I don't hide anything. I don't have any burner accounts. What I tweet is my feelings, whether people like them or not. I, I joke around about politics a lot, but I'm not one of these. I'm not a partisan hack. I don't root for presidents or, or root against presidents, root for presidents, root for candidates. I just have fun. And so it's at, Twitter, at Tony Bruno Show on Twitter. And uh, I'm not on Facebook. I just talk to my family on there every once in a while. Facebook to me, it's just too much work. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm getting ready We're here in the basement right now. I call it the basement because I'm so used to it in the cellar. We're already doing the transformation. We've turned all our equipment down uh, to start for Monday show on the Sirius app and on the Sirius channel 211. We're going to have a ceiling mounted uh, microphone. So we're going to clear a lot of space so we have more space. We're building another area where the board op will sit. So that's what we're doing, Robin and I through the rest of the week till we launch on Monday on Sirius. And, of course, uh, the Twitch channel, twitch.tv, Tony Bruno Show. So even though we'll be on Sirius XM 211, the Dan Patrick channel, we will also be on Twitch with the video component. So you'll be able to watch that if you already are a Twitch subscriber. You don't even have to pay to watch Twitch. You just download the Twitch TV app. And uh, it's twitch.tv slash Tony Bruno Show. So you'll be able to watch us in our studio, too. I never got people watching people do stuff in the studio. But we're not just people sitting there staring into a box like I used to do with Keith Overman on ESPN and all the other TV shows now, and everybody's doing their shows from their basements uh, or you know, from a studio where there's nobody around. And so that's the world I've been living in way before the stay at home and stay safe. So we're going to do it from this. And then we'll be able to go out and do shows like at Parks Casino and the other stuff, because I love being out with people. And that's going to happen, too, eventually when we're back into an era where everybody feels safe to go out again, and it's all the, the all-clear sounds or like when, will be uh, out there again. Or Reader's Water Ice, like when I came by, by uh, back in 2014, we talked about Shane Goss's Bear. You can do that, too. <laughs> exactly right. Now, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you know, people... The good thing is, hopefully by the summer, when people are back out and they're going to the shore and they're doing recreational stuff and they're out, you know, could go out to the beach and feel not feel in danger, that kind of stuff. Those are, that's what we're all looking forward to, and we all have to grin and bear it and do what we need, we need to do to keep people safe, like my 95-and-a-half-year-old mom, make sure she's okay in these types of uh, situations. So that's what we have to do. You know, just care about the people around us. Do what you can to help others. And that's what I've always tried to do in my career. Great way to close it out, Tony. Appreciate it. Tony Bruno Show with Harry Mays will debut Monday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time on Sirius XM Channel 211. Tony Bruno, my friend, I appreciate the what turned out to be a good half hour of chatting, and uh, for, thank you for coming on the podcast, and hopefully we can do it again. I think next time we get down to Philly to visit my mom, hopefully we can uh, you know, hook up and uh, have some dinner or something. 
Absolutely, Ken. Always a pleasure. Great to know you all these years, and I appreciate your support as well, sir. Yeah, we go back, of course, when you played the softball game with WFIL back in Mitchell Playground in my neighborhood. Uh, it was uh, first, <laughs> I first met you there, and it's been ever since. It's been a oh, 40 some odd years, I think, since that happened. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, Boomer, but we're used to, used to hearing that guy in our age group. I don't mind people calling me a Boomer. That means we've lived good, long lives, and we've seen a lot of things come and go. Yes, appreciate it. That's Tony Bruno. Coming up, we're going to wrap up the podcast here on the Party Shots Podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. Back to wrap up the podcast. Before we do that, I just have a quick comment about the situation that happened at Schenectady Little League's clubhouse on Oregon Avenue earlier in the week. Uh, vandals broke into the Little League clubhouse twice over the past week and causing some considerable damage. Uh, memorabilia was destroyed. Uh, there were files were damaged. Uh, walls were spray painted. I'm just going to say this. With all that's going on right now in the world with the coronavirus uh, pandemic, some idiots had to do this? Really? It's just, it's unconscionable. It's, I, I don't understand people these days. What, what was the purpose? What are you trying to get out of it? I, I hope that whoever gets, whoever did this gets caught and uh, is really, has the, the uh, book uh, thrown at them. It's just, I, I, I don't get it. We're, we're going through a lot right now. We're trying to, you know, be safe with the coronavirus pandemic, as I said. And you got fools out there trying to make a name for themselves. I mean, even uh, the phrase six 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 was spray painted. That's a, that satanic number. So it's just it's disgusting to me. And I hope these people that did it get caught and they're you know putting it in jail for a little while. So that's my parting shot. And I appreciate you listening to it. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Alex Fuse and Tony Bruno for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette Newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.